When sin became alive in my understanding, not only did I become dead because of the understanding of the law, but also the very thing that I thought would bring me life, the very thing that I thought put me in good standing before God, my obedience to the law was the very thing that put me to death. What a revelation Paul must have had in Acts chapter 9, that the very thing that he believed made him good before God was the very thing that condemned him before God. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Once again, to Romans chapter 7, we're getting ready to come to my favorite portion of Romans 7, and that starts at verse 14, so we won't get there tonight, but we're getting close, and uh, that's, that's my favorite portion from, chap- from verse 14 on through the, rest of the, uh, through the rest of the chapter, as we talk about freedom from sin, freedom from sin. Everybody wants that, don't you? Everybody wants to have a life that glorifies and honors the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, nobody wants a life that has riddled with sin. Everybody wants to have victory over their sinful patterns of their life. And so it's what we're studying this together all these last weeks. Romans chapter 7. Husband looked at his wife as he got ready to get on the road, said, fasten your seatbelt, honey. Uh, fasten your seatbelts. Um, and then he looked at her and said, it's the law, you know. It's the law, you know. And as his wife fastened the seatbelt, he thought, you know, you dummy. You know, sometimes us husbands call ourselves that. You're not allowed to as the wife, but we're allowed to call ourselves that. Husband thought, you know what, you dummy. Um, that is not a reason for her to buckle up. You want her to be protected from any accident you, that you may drive into. And he, he began to think with himself, what a shallow concern. How shallow would that concern be? If I, were in, if I had more fear of paying a fine versus my wife being seriously hurt. And I read that this week and I began to think about how much, how that so much a lot of times a, a describes how we approach obedience to God. That describes so much how we approach obedience to God's law. We, we, we approach God's law sometimes with almost mixed emotions. But which emotion overrides the other? Do we obey God's law because we're afraid of God's wrath or judgment? Do we feel that if I don't obey God, that he's going to break my leg or burn my house down? Is that the way we, is that why we serve God? There are myriads of people that feel that Christianity is really just a set of rules to obey in order for you to be satisfied by feeling like that you're doing a good job. And what the root of that is, is that we believe that in order to be accepted by God, we have to perform. But what, but what Paul is trying to get across in our text that we're, we've been looking is, you cannot keep God's law. 
that the law of God just reminds us how wicked that we are, which is really the reason that God gave the law in the first place. He gave us a law that we couldn't keep, and that's for that very reason, to drive us to salvation in Christ alone. And what people need to do is that they need to evaluate their salvation not on the basis of their reaction to God's love, but to evaluate their salvation on the basis of their reaction to God's law. Romans chapter 7. Let's begin reading tonight in verse number 7 where the Apostle Paul says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law has said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscences, or with evil desires. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. We pray, Father God, that you would give us understanding into your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. More and more law enforcement officials are coming around to the conclusion that the only way to reduce the crime rate is to do what? Make everything legal. It's the only way to reduce crime. We can't enforce drug-related crime, so what will they do? Make drugs legal. And once you get the wheel turning, there's no stopping it. And more and more states are making legal things that at one time were illegal. Because, going back to what I've been saying the last two weeks, prohibition increases excitement. You want to give somebody the idea of something they shouldn't do, then tell them they can't do it. And then once you tell the person they can't do it, then what, what happens then? We've been seeing together. It arouses within them the desire to do it. One spokesman said, hiring more policemen, imposing curfews, building new prisons, enlarging the judiciary, these measures only treat the symptoms of a crime wave. If you're ever going to have a genuine improvement in the situations, we've got to attack the root cause of crime, the laws. That's their genius idea. If you want to decrease crime with gun, with gun related crime, what do you do? You take away the guns, right? But the point is this. 
Not, this is not a sermon on the Second Amendment, okay? But the point is this. Prohibition increases the excitement. And we looked last time, we began to look a couple weeks ago at the revelation that the law brings. Look at verse 7 of what Paul says here. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay or no, I had not known sin, but by the what? By the law. For I had not known lust until the law had told me, thou shalt not covet. And, and the point of Paul is, is not that Paul didn't realize that it was wrong to covet, but Paul's point is, is that once the law told him that thou shalt not covet, that his sinfulness aroused within him the desire to covet. Bonnie, I gave this illustration. You'll appreciate this. Tori? When does someone want to walk on the grass? When the sign says, stay off. Right? And that sign, probably been there for years, but when you saw it, it aroused within you the defilement of your fallenness, and you said, you're not going to tell me what to do. Watch me walk on the grass. And you walk on the grass. Well, the grass is green on the other side until you get to the other side and figure out it has to be mowed over there too, right? I gave you the illustration. I used my poor wife as a couple of illustrations. Remember that? That's not why she's not up here tonight. But I use my poor wife as a couple of illustrations of this. And that brings us to point number two, the rousing that the law bestows. Not only the revelation that the law brings, but the rousing that the law bestows. Look what Paul says in verse 8. But what? Sin. Folks, listen. Paul's point is, is that it is not the law that's the problem. What's the problem? Sin. That's the problem. It's not the problem of the gun that causes murder. It's the person that's pulling the trigger. Right? And the problem with the law of God is not the law of God. The problem with the, with it is the sin of the person disobeying the law of God. Paul says it in verse 8. It's not the law, but sin. He says it later on in this chapter, that it is the sin that dwells in me. And we looked at James chapter 1, verse 14, where James says that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of what? His own lusts. And we said to you last time that it is what is already in the heart of man that causes him to commit sin. You do not come in contact with anything new. Everything that you come in contact with that becomes sin in your life is not a new encounter. It's something that has already been in your heart from conception. And that's why Paul says, but sin. And what does sin do? Taking occasion or opportunity by what? The commandment. What, is, what does sin use? Sin uses the commandments of God to arouse in me Things that I normally wouldn't think of doing, but tells me I can't do it, so I say what? Watch me. Watch me. Number three. So the, so the law brings revelation. The law brings rousing, and then the law brings ruin. 
Look at the ruin that the law breeds. Look at verse 9. Paul says, For I was alive without the law once. But when the what? Commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Now you need to remember, Paul was a zealous Pharisee. And because Paul was a zealous Pharisee, Paul was not apart from the law. Paul knew the law very well. Paul was highly trained in the law and considered himself regarding the law to be blameless. Notice what he says. Remember what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, which is of the law, what? Blameless. So Paul considered himself what in relation to the law? Paul says, I don't have any problems with the law. But the problem is, what was Paul's problem with the law? Paul's problem with the law was that he obeyed it the way that he was taught to interpret the law. But when a true understanding of the commandment came, he began to see himself as he really was and began to see how very short he falls to God's righteous standard. And it is at that very moment, church, in your life and my life, that sin comes alive. Because as we've been saying all along, the prohibition, because of the depravity of our fallenness, rouses in us the evil desires to want to do those things. And on the one hand, he died in the sense of realizing that all of his spiritual accomplishments were absolutely spiritual rubbish. He says in Philippians 3, 7, But the things which were gained in me I counted what? Loss. Everything that I thought was doing me good really did me harm. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung or rubbish or excrement that I may win Christ. When Paul came face to face with the realities of the law, it was at that moment that he realized he was spiritually dead. And until a person, folks, comes to the point in their life where they realize they are they have disobeyed the law of God, then it's not until at that point they realize they're spiritually dead. Are they spiritually dead? Oh, absolutely. They're spiritually dead from conception. They're born dead people, spiritually speaking. But it's not until they come face to face with the realities of the law that they realize they're spiritually dead. But when Paul saw the majesty and the holiness of God's perfect law, he became broken and contrite. There's nobody in this worship center tonight that did not get saved because you realize you broke God's law. If you got saved for any other reason but that you did not realize that you broke God's law, then that person's probably not truly born again. They make some type of an emotional decision because you could never get truly born again until you realize you've broken God's law. Because if I haven't broken God's law, why do I need a Savior, right? And so part of salvation... It's becoming face-to-face with God's law and that I have broken God's law. And that's what Paul says. He says, for I was alive without the law once. In our day of great emphasis on God's love, often to the neglect of God's wrath and judgment, as I said before, it is especially important that people evaluate their salvation or the genuineness of it, not in regards to God's love, but in regards to God's law. And that is, a, that is the point that Paul is trying to make. Look at verse 9 again. He says, but when the commandment came, sin did what? Sin revived, 
anazao, and it literally means to be resurrected. It means to, it means to spring to life. It, it, it means to give it activity again. Kenneth Weiss, a uh, Greek scholar from Moody, said this, Sin is alive indeed and vigorous among men ever since the fall of Adam. Yet it is destitute of power in innocent children ignorant of the law. But when they come to a full knowledge of the law, sin recovers its power in them also. When Paul became aware of the full scope, the full power, and the requirements of the law, he realized that he was unable to meet those standards. He was unable to meet the law's demands. Before we realize the seriousness of the law and of sin, we we believe ourselves to be alive. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, you you, you ask the average person on the street this question. Are you going to heaven when you die? What are they going to say to you? Hope so. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I actually had one person tell me one time, well, I believe that when I die, that God will weigh my good and bad. And if my good outweighs my bad, then I'll be okay. And I said, well, how are you doing with that? He said, I think I'll be all right. I said, you think you'll be all right? I said, you mind if I ask you a few questions? Sure. I ain't afraid of your question. I said, okay. I said, how are you at obeying the commandment of God? Well, I'm all right. Remind me of the rich young ruler, right? All these have I kept from my youth up, right? I'll obey the commandment. I mean, I ain't killed anybody. It's amazing how they go to that one, Bonnie. I ain't killed nobody. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Have you ever been mad with somebody without a cause? Well, yeah. Well, Jesus says you're guilty of murder. Okay. Well, I don't run around my wife. So I said, well, let me just ask you a few questions. I said, you think that you're okay with the law of God? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I said, uh, I said, have you ever stolen anything? Even if it was just small. Yeah. When I was a kid, I'm sure, you know, I stole a piece of candy or something. I said, have you ever, um, have you ever cheated your boss out of time? You got paid for time you really weren't working? Oh, well, I'm sure. Yeah. So, okay. I says, what's that, what's that, what's that make you? I said, uh, he said, uh, uh, makes me a makes me a thief. Yeah. I said, you're still doing good with God's law? Because you just admitted that you're a thief. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I said, have you ever told a lie? Oh, of course. Who doesn't? It's just a little white lie. But, you know, it, it, you know, if you it, if you if you don't hurt anybody, then it's not really a lie. So, but yeah, I've told a lie. I said, so what's that make you? I said, what does the Bible call people that, what do we call people that tell lies? He says, a liar. I said, how you doing? I said, because in less than two minutes, you've admitted that you are a thieving liar. How 
I said, have you ever, um, I said, have you ever had an affair on your wife? I said, you married? He says, yeah, I'm married. I said, have you ever had an affair on your wife? No, man. No. It's Matthew. I said, okay, well, let me put it to you the way Jesus said. I said, have you ever looked upon a woman and lusted after her in your heart? Well, yeah, I have. I said, well, Jesus said, if you look upon a woman and lust after her in your heart, then you have committed adultery with her already. I said, so what do we call people that commit adultery? Uh, I said, an adulterer. Yeah. I said, so in less than five minutes, you've gone from I'm good to being a thieving, lying, adulteress at heart. I said, are we good? No, we're not. Not at all. Not at all. Real example, real life example, folks, that is just indicative of people's relationship, their attitude toward the law until they come face to face with the law. Until they come face to face with the law. And until, just like Paul, until we realize the reality of the seriousness of the law and sin in our life, we believe ourselves to be alive. But when the significance of the commandment, say not to covet, becomes clear to us, suddenly we realize the sin and we realize that we're dead. But you know what? That's exactly the way it's supposed to happen. Because the law is supposed to reveal to you the utter sinfulness of your life and that you cannot do it. And that the outcome of your life is going to be death. And the principle is one that we, one of the reasons why we say that in the Bible there is a state of accountability. I do not believe that there's a, there, that there's a specific age. I don't believe that every five year old understands the law at the same level. For that matter, I don't believe that every ten year old receipt understands the law at the same level. And that's, and that's to say that Paul is not saying that until you understand the law, you don't have a sin nature. But there was a time from the birth, from your birth until you are cognitive and knowledgeable of your, as a creature of the actual sin, you did not realize the sin, even though you still had a sin nature. We understand that, it, that with a, that as a child has a lack of understanding of what the commandment is and what the prohibitions are. And it is at the point of the understanding that we realize, man, I've really violated God's law, right? And that's the point of the gospel. That's the point of the law. And until, as God's people, until we bring people face to face with the realities of the law, when we give the gospel presentation, and I know I harp on this, okay? Will y'all give me just a little latitude? I know I harp on this, but listen, if you're going to give somebody the Romans road, the, 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 big, the big three verses, you know, Romans 3.10, 3.23, and 6.23, you haven't given somebody the complete gospel because you need to bring them face to face with the law, repentance, the holiness of God, and the absolute sinfulness and depravity of their heart. And until we do that, we really haven't given people the gospel. Because for Paul, he says, man, I was alive until I realized what the law really taught. And when I realized what the law taught, man, sin resurrected. It was always there, but in my life it was dormant because I didn't really understand it. But when I became knowledgeable of it and understood it, sin resurrected, and man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. There was a time in my life, no doubt yours as well, where I felt secure. 
And I was under no conviction of that sin. And at that time, the full implications of God's law had not been registered in my consciousness yet. Had, had not become a noble burden on my heart. And I thought that I was morally and spiritually doing quite well. But when the commandment came in, that is when it brought home to me what the law really demanded. What does the law of God demand, church? Perfection, right? Be ye therefore of uh, Matthew 5, 548. Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You say, Pastor, I can't be perfect. Well, guess what? Then you're in trouble. Because the only way you and I can ever meet, be in the presence of Jehovah, the only way you and I can ever be in the presence of Yahweh is if we are perfect. We keep the law of God perfectly without fail. I can't. That's the realization that the law is supposed to bring you to. The realization that you can't do it. And when you and I, when I become came face to face with the reality of the law, I realized what a great sinner I was. It was at that point that I really died. But it was at that point that it was the end of my self-satisfaction. It was the end of my being secured in myself. Notice what, notice what Paul continually says in verse 10. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. When sin became alive in my understanding, not only did I become dead because of the understanding of the law, but also the very thing that I thought would bring me life, the very thing that I thought put me in good standing before God, my obedience to the law was the very thing that put me to death. What a revelation Paul must have had in Acts chapter 9. That the very thing that he believed made him good before God was the very thing that condemned him before God. When a young Jewish boy would learn, memorize, and study the meaning of the law, he did not do that with, with the intention of to enticing sin and embracing death. He did it so that he would understand how to live. But when a person obeys the law, they have an opportunity to a full life, don't they? However, the problem is, is that as sinners, we, have, we don't have the ability to live the way that way because we cannot obey the law of God. So therefore, we cannot receive the benefits of living in obedience to the law of Christ. And that's why, church, we need Christ. Because verse 10, the commandment that I thought would give me life really gave me death. I remember many, many years ago, we were in a Bible school uh, at Calvary Baptist Church, and I was you know, 15 or 16 years old, and we had a family in our church that had been going there for a while, and they had family that lived in Texas, and they were all Catholic. And uh, they, came, they came up to visit for the summer. And we, Jeff Clark, who was my pastor, taught the teen Sunday school class, uh, the teen Bible school class that year. And the Lord, he never taught a class before, but the Lord had him teach that class this year for this reason. This girl came, she was one of their one of their kids that came into the class, was three of them, and all of them were teenagers. He started teaching us in, in Bible school about grace alone, faith alone, glory of God alone, scripture alone, 
through Christ alone, began to teach us the solace of the Reformation. Well, immediately her hand went up in objection, as you can imagine it would. Because they don't believe that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone. They believe it's faith plus works. That's what the Vatican Council says. If anybody does not say that salvation is by grace alone, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. Let him be anathema. That's from Vatican II. And so she raised her hand in immediate, immediate objection. And I watched for about an hour, Bonnie, for about an hour, Jeff Clark talked to this girl and began to systematically, little by little, tear apart her theology. And I watched a young lady. She sat, she sat, she sat apart from us. And I watched a young lady, at eight, about 18 years old, I believe she was. I watched her sit on that bench and just sob and weep uncontrollably because her entire world had been torn apart. Because for the first time in her life, she came face to face with the law of God and found out not only that everything she had been taught was a lie, but she found out that she is not as good before God as she thought she was. And then she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. See, folks, guys, that's the purpose of the law, isn't it? And before that, we have no ability to live that full life because we have no ability to keep the law of God that gives us the ability to live that full life. But once we love Christ, receive Christ, trust Christ, and we have His Spirit dwelling within us, He gives us the ability to obey that law. In Romans chapter 8, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? Spirit. The law brings life in this sense. If you obey God in the power of the Spirit, which only Christians can do, God will bless and prosper your life as He pours His grace upon it. I'm teaching in the academy this month on the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And one of the miraculous things about the doctrine of justification by faith alone is that Jesus is that God imparts to me, not only declares me to be righteous, not only looks at me by faith and says, Michael Huffman, you are righteous, but he, listen, a good judge cannot sweep sin under the rug, can he? Good judge doesn't do that. And God is a good judge. And so what does he have to do with our sin? He somehow, some way, his offended holiness has to be made right. The, the, the guilty have to be punished for the crimes that they've committed against God. And these, listen, these aren't crimes that have been committed against another sinner. Listen, our crimes have been committed against perfect holiness. Our crimes have been committed against someone who was other, other, utter otherness. He is completely separate from sin. And that's the second half, James, of justification, isn't it? That God not only looks at me and by faith and says, Michael Huffman, I declare you to be righteous, but God, but God takes my sins and he lays them on Jesus Christ. And he take, therefore, because he took my sin and he laid them on Jesus Christ, he can take the righteousness of Jesus Christ and lay it on me. Now, if I don't light your fire, your wood's wet. I've been justified. I've been declared righteous. 
And I have fullness of life because now God sees me as a law keeper. Thank you. I was thinking of old bear, but that wasn't good grammar. God sees me as a law keeper. Do I keep the law? No, I don't. But God sees me as a law keeper by faith in Christ. Because God laid on me the active and the passive obedience of Christ. And because he sees me as a law keeper, I can live that fullness of life. And what God puts in me, and this goes back to what I said, you evaluate salvation not based upon your thinking of God's love, but your thinking of God's law, because now I long, Bonnie, to keep the law of God. I don't always do it. In fact, a lot of times I don't do it, and I struggle doing it. But the desire of my heart because of my faith in Jesus Christ, and because I've really seen myself before the law, that I can't do it, but in Him it's already done. I desire, O oh Lord, to, to do Thy works, O oh God. I desire everything with everything in me to obey your law. But when God's law confronts an unregenerate person, it just does what? It shows them how evil they are and only generates misery and guilt. And Paul once experienced that devastating frustration. The law revealed that when he once thought was valuable in life, it revealed to him how evil he was. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And look at verse 11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by slew me. You know, folks, one of the things you need to remember about sin is sin is a deceptor. Sin is a deceiver. Sin brings about deception, doesn't it? What's the very first thing that the Bible says before sin ever entered into the, into the world? The serpent was more what? Which is what? Deception. The very first thing we learn about sin in in Genesis chapter 3 is that sin is a deceiver. In this way, you think that sin will give you the satisfaction in your life that you need, but it never does, does it? It never does. Not only... Paul not only says that sin through the law took opportunity to arouse the evil desires in his heart, but it also says that the command deceived me. It gave me a false assumption about myself. It gave me false thoughts about myself. It misled me. It it, it brought about deception. And what was that deception? For Paul, it was the deception. It's the same way for every sinner, isn't it? It was the deception that says, I'm accepted by God through my own merit. How many religions are there in the world, church? Two. There's a religion of man-made effort, and there's a religion of Christ alone. That's it. I don't care what religion you are, you fall into one of those two categories. Either you're the religion of man-made effort, a man-centered theology, and if, you're man- and if your theology is a man-centered theology, then it's not a God-centered theology. Or your theology or your religion is by Christ alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. And when a person is deceived into believing that, they will, that they're okay, they will see no need for salvation in Jesus Christ. Because that, because that religion is based upon the foundation of a self-effort. Now, let's look at number four. We need to close this up. The reflection that the law betrays. Paul once again answers the question for verse 7. Look at verse number 12. Wherefore, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just 
and good. Not only does he declare that the law is holy, but what does he also say about the law? He says that the law is what? Just and good and good. It's spiritual, he says it in verse 14. He calls the law spiritual. In verse 16, he calls the law good. And he joyfully concurs, he says in verse 22, in the inner man of his divine truth. Notice what the psalmist said in Psalm 19, uh, beginning in verse 7. The law of the Lord is what? That's far from being bad, isn't it? The law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? It converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now notice what he says, more to be desired are they than gold. Talking about the what? The law of God. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, talking about the law again, thy servant is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them the law, there is what? Great reward. The fact that the law reveals, the law rouses, the law ruins the sinner and brings the death to the sinner does not make the law evil. When a person is justly convicted and sentenced for murder, it is no, not the fault of the law. It's the fault of who? The one who broke it. The one who broke it. And once again, Paul's anticipating a form of a question. Look what he says in verse 13. Was then that which is, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. May it never be said. Make again a toy. No, 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 not ever. It's the most powerful, emphatic negation in the Greek language. But what? See, that's the problem, isn't it? The problem is not the law. The problem is sin. The problem is not that the law makes you do anything. The problem is your sin. And until we realize that it is our sin, we'll never get victory over it. Meaning this, church, until you stop blaming other people for your problems, until you stop blaming other situations for your problems, and realize that the problem is the sin that dwells in me and that I need to get things right with God, you and I will never get freedom from sin. And we all do that, don't we? What was the first thing Adam and Eve did? Blame somebody else. First thing Adam did, well, that woman you gave me, right? Not, listen, not only was Adam blaming Eve, but who else was he blaming? He was ultimately blaming God because it's the woman God that you gave me. God, this is all your fault. This is all your fault. If you hadn't brought this woman into my life, this would never have happened. This is all your fault. And until you and I stop with the blame game of other people, the devil made me do it. We don't use that terminology because that's too juvenile. But we do say, well, my situation made me do it. Or if you hadn't done this, you know, if you hadn't started the argument, then I wouldn't have continued it. Until we stop doing that, we'll never get victory. The law is good. It is the breaking of it that's evil. The law is the cause of spiritual death. But the law is not the cause of spiritual death. Let me rephrase that. But what is the cause of spiritual death? My sin. The law reveals 
and the law arouses. John MacArthur said this, talking about the law. It can twist and distort the law so that instead of bringing life as God intended, it brings death. It can manipulate the pure law of God to deceive and damn people. Such is the awful wretchedness of sin. The sin that is within you twists God's law, perverts God's law. And Paul says, listen, the thing that I thought gave me life really gave me death. But the problem, churches, and Paul says it's not the law. What is the problem? The problem is me. The problem is me. And you and I will never get freedom from sin until we realize I'm the problem. I'm the issue. Not, the, not that God's standard is too high. I'm the problem. But I'm the issue. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.